Aloha, and welcome to SUP FM, the podcast for stand-up paddleboarders everywhere. So with no further ado, let's get out on the water and on with the show. Here are your hosts, Nick and Simon. Good morning on a bright and sunny autumn stroke winter morning. It's almost December here down in Portugal, and... Um, the three boys, the three adventurers that we've just been on a trip, actually not just, in September the 21st of 2020, myself, Chris Grebby, and Tom Longhurst went on a 160-kilometer-long jaunt across the Algarve in our stand-up paddleboards. Um, we were slightly assisted by some mates of ours over the first few days because we really wanted to try and push it because we didn't have that much time and we wanted to try and do it in, within five days. So we set out early early on the Monday morning from Sagres in the west, southwestern tip of Portugal and paddled 160 kilometers all the way across in four and a half days. It was a fantastic trip and we really thoroughly enjoyed it. And we hope that you find, um, you'll find it inspiring to go out and do something like this yourself because there's nothing better than starting off with an overnight trip and then you know, a couple of overnight trips and then building in a proper adventure and doing it. Because it's like the adventure of a lifetime. You don't have long, just you got to do this. you got to do this. It really is so much fun. If you do it with the right crew, you'll have a well over time. And hopefully you'll pick up on that when, when we talk about our trip. And hopefully you'll learn a little bit. And, and, um, and hopefully, obviously, we'll inspire you to go and do something like this. But if you have any questions or anything, just jump onto our Instagram at SUPFM Podcast and uh, ask us questions. We'd love to know all about it because we'll be posting a few pictures of this trip on the Instagram and then uh, you'll be able to ask questions in the comments below. So thanks once again for listening and don't forget to check out our SUPFM water safety course over at supfm.thinkific.com. And if you're struggling with that link, just go to supfm.show and there are links directly through there. All right, here are the guys. So welcome to the SUPFM podcast, gentlemen. We have Mr. Nick Robinson, which is myself, and Mr. Chris Grebby. Could you say your name, please? Hi, my name's Chris Grebby, and uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm Excellent. trying to think what so, else I need to say. <laughs> no, that's cool, just so people can identify your voice. Um, and Tom Longhurst. Hey, guys. Tom Longhurst here. It's great oh, to have cool. you, Tom. Much cooler. And guys... So, so yeah, just, just for a little bit of background, we all know each other really well because we paddled. Um, we knew each other before we paddled across the Algarve, but we, we uh, had a lot of fun paddling across the Algarve as well. So this might be a bit of a laugh, which I hope you enjoy too. And so, no inside jokes, boys, okay? <laughs> what happened on the paddle stays on the paddle, right? Well, yeah, except for this podcast, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but what I'd like to try and do is for all you guys out there is just to explain to you how we prepared for it and then just take it, uh, you know, like some stories of the trip as we go chronologically, and then what lessons we drew from it and what we thought of, you know, how worthwhile it was, etc. That may be a little bit of an empty uh, corner, but hey, let's go for it. <laughs> so um, let's kick, kick off with the preparation. Um, I think, Chris, you were the most experienced lad along and decided to do a kit list, which was very um, prepared of you. Where did you get that idea from? Um, I think from a mate of mine, a guy called Nick Robinson. Oh, yeah? <laughs> And no, it was um, when we started looking at how much we were going to take, it sort of made sense, I think, for the three of us not to all be taking the same stuff or redundant stuff. Um, so I guess by producing a list, we were able to start whittling down what was important, what wasn't important, who was going to carry the bulk of the food or whether we were going to split the food between us, tents and um, all that kind of thing. And I'm sure we're going to get onto the conversation of who brought what for sleeping in. <laughs> Absolutely. I think sleeping well. Well, let's just kick straight. But first of all, before that, I mean, the way we did collaborate, because a lot of us were, I mean, some of us, not a lot of us, were in lockdowns and it was difficult. So we collaborated with a Google document, which which can be very confusing for some people. <laughs> yeah, pen and paper is always the best way. I thought we said no inside jokes. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, Tom. Well done, man. We really appreciate you getting into Google and welcome to the world. It's awesome. No worries. No worries. <laughs> but look, yeah, let's talk about sleeping first of all, because obviously sleeping on a multi-day expedition is quite critical. And personally, I like to sleep comfortably when I'm on these things, because you know. Um, so, well, well, how about you, Tom? How, how, what, what did you think about sleeping and and what kit regarding kit? I've done. Uh lots of nights is on the beach but like you said I, I don't think i've ever done consecutive nights 
especially after you know 10 12 hours of exercise and then sleeping i've always done just a, a jolly paddle and then a camp on the beach but um talking to you two and and getting some stuff that i'd already had with me i think um i didn't want to bring too much it's a re- it's a really fine line between carrying too much and being really comfy so um the blow up mattresses were a godsend because you never quite know whether you're going to be on soft sand or just breaking that barrier up between whatever you're on and and yourself even if it's just a it, not for comfort just for getting you off the surface i think the blow up mattress was a was a definite must looking back at it all whether it was an inch thick or or you had your double duvet and uh and double bed, <laughs> double bed scenario <laughs> Yeah, I bought one of those things from Decathlon, which you blow up. I had to manually blow it up because I didn't want to bring a pump with. And it was only about seven bucks, but it, and it was plastic. But it was it was great, and it really lifts you off the ground. Yours was rather more advanced, I think. Didn't you have that, that slightly inflatable padded mattress? Where is it from? Arc or something? Yeah, it was. It was also from Decathlon, actually, but it was sort of 40 bucks. Uh, but it was... A tenth of the size, and um, and uh, yeah, it was amazing. It was two seconds to blow up, and and it was it was so comfy. It was it was brilliant. It was it was well worth the extra few bucks, I think. And pillows? Did you bring pillows? Because I brought an inflatable pillow, which is it's brilliant. It's like a baby's arm armband. I I didn't, but luckily you had two. So, uh, <laughs> but actually, after after the first night of sleeping with a. A pillow of clothes the, and then you pulled out the second blow-up pillow that was yeah that was also super how about you chris i mean you ended up sleeping naked on the sand right oh it was a beautiful experience like, the best thing i think i packed was an actual like mini fabric pillow oh every single night beautiful night's sleep that and um i think my key difference was bringing the correct shelter on account <laughs> on account of uh, <laughs> the weather forecast for night three, I think it was, or night four. I can't remember, Tom. Which which night was that? That it definitely rained? night three. Yeah, I. Uh, well, we'll go through the whole three. trip chronologically a little bit later, but uh, I think absolutely. Um, yeah, whether you bring, I think both of you guys brought tents, right? So I brought a little um, one-man bivy tent, which was purchased off Amazon about a day before we went for. About 50 bucks, I think, and it was brilliant. That's a little tip for you guys out there. Um, If you're going to order things from Amazon, uh, especially in these current times, just make sure that you allow a lot of lead time because some items didn't come and other items just gave us a bit of an ulcer when they arrived the day before or the night before. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. but well worth it. And this thing was probably, I mean, it was smaller than the actual inflatable mattress the tent to carry. It didn't take up much space at all. So definitely worth its weight in gold. And I think with tents as well, the good thing about tents is they keep mosquitoes and, and all kinds of chokas, as we call them in South Africa, off you. Um, I opted for a bivy bag, which I love because then I can see the stars and, and it's just great. It rained a little bit, as you said, on night three and all the rain just ducked right off me. It was great. Loved it. Oh, likewise. So, yeah. Yeah, well, uh, I had borrowed a uh, top-of-the-end tent, uh, I think it was about 600 bucks, two-man sleeping, which is unbelievably light, but uh, in my naivety, I thought I would not pack the outer layer because we live on the Algarve and it sunshines 365 days, but on that day, it did rain, so I didn't take the outer layer, um, and my tent filled up like a bit of a bucket, so it, uh, although, although I saved five grams of weight on my paddleboard, uh, I did up getting ended up getting quite wet, but um, yeah, I said before it's a real fine line between how much weight you carry and how how important that piece of kit is, I suppose. Um, yeah, and, and you mentioned the weather. I mean, because because we were going on the twenty first of September and sort of basically midsummer in the Algarve or the tail end of summer in the Algarve, we didn't really have to worry about being warm. Although at night it got a little bit chilly, and I think wherever you're camping, um, it does. It obviously does does matter what the what the com- the conditions are doing for what what kind of clothing you wore. But what we just took what uh, we didn't take any wetsuits or anything like that. We just took uh, you know night clothes and and uh, baggies and and things to paddle. And we were paddling mostly uh, topless, dare I say? Yeah. Although when you say like I I looking back at it, and I know it sounds crazy, but I didn't take any 
uh, footwear as such, although we took flip-flops, but I, I didn't, socks would have been a godsend because when you're paddling soaking wet for 10, 12 hours and then you on the beach, your feet are still wet and then you've got another however many hours sleeping, I think a pair of socks that your feet are dry just, just for those few hours because in the end it ended up five, five days of wet feet and um, all sorts of things start going on in between your toes. So I think a pair of socks would have been a, would have been a, a really helpful, which I hadn't even thought of before we set off. I should have told you, yeah, I loved my socks. I enjoyed them <laughs> Thanks, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I could have lent them to you if you wanted to, but they're like Actually, three yeah, days old. Actually, yeah, you mention it. My, uh, my nice warm fluffy socks were wonderful every night. There we go. <laughs> Those pre-kit meetings were, were worth the way to go. Now, a lot of people might wonder what kind of boards you're going to take, because this paddle, just to put it in context for you guys out there, it's 160 kilometers long, and we were doing about 30 to 45 kilometers a day. So what kind of boards should you use? What kind of boards did you think about using, Tom or Chris? Well, the, the obvious one is what boards do you have to hand? Um, and I had the option of two. Um, I had a starboard, which was 25 inches wide, and on our um, on our training paddles, actually, we went out on quite a rough day, the three of us in Port de Marche near, near Lagos. And um, I quickly found out that that wasn't going to be ideal after rough, rough conditions. And actually, we had no kit on that day. Um, and seeing you two stable as on, a, on slightly wider boards, um, it was really good, those pre-training in different conditions. Uh, and I ended up going with a C4 board, which was just three inches wider, but it, it made all the difference on the trip. Yeah, but if, if anyone's got any doubts, I mean, just go for a touring board. That's why they're called touring boards is because they obviously like, they like race boards, 12.6 or 14 foot, or sometimes 13.2 in, um, if you're looking at a red paddle board. And it uh, doesn't matter whether it's an inflatable or a hard board, but um, I think you definitely want to want to go for something quite long and fairly narrow, maybe 27, 28, 29 inches wide, depending on I'd how say, big you are. Yeah, I mean, the 27 that I took, it's great without too much weight on it. But as soon as you start loading it up, it just starts developing that little bit of instability. Mm -hmm. But ah, if you're an experienced man like yourself, Nick, it's not a problem, I guess. But... No, well, I had a 29 inch, didn't I? That's <laughs> a, my experience told me to go wide because I'm really big. Yeah. So I, I, I'd say yeah. definitely go wide. Don't be afraid of having a bit of width to the board. If you're going to take kit for five nights, I think it's a huge advantage. Yeah, and also as well, sorry, I mean, talking about the boards, is creating the system for actually latching the bags onto the board. It's all very well having a fancy board, but if you've got no way of strapping the bags to it, that can become a bit of an issue. So what did you do? Um, because you had a fancy board. It was a, actually a race board, even though it was 27 inches wide. What did you do to try and... Tell us the story, Chris. Oh, it felt terrible cutting into the, uh, <laughs> the foot padding. But actually, it worked perfectly. You can buy little uh, boating... What would you guys call them? Um, yeah, just like little rubber eyelets or rubber bases with metal eyelets in. And epoxy resin them onto the board it worked perfectly half a dozen of those on the board with a bit of bungee i mean look you say it worked it works perfectly and it did work perfectly for us but we didn't have to go through any bad conditions at all and um you know if we had hit bad conditions we're wondering if our if our boards had popped would, would have come i mean our baggage would have come off but tom did you do the same thing you just um, epoxied in some similar yes yeah, similar um i, I had uh, a company do it for me i think it was 70 euros in the end to put six or eight lugs on but yeah they were from a from um outboard rib um rib hull uh connectors so yeah that their rib company that were you know using the right glue um i, I really do think they would have held they, they were super strong in the end it was um i, th I think there would have been enough even if we'd hit bad conditions with, with the with the with the rib um they were they were quite big lugs, although the eyelets were small. Um, the lugs themselves that they glued on were, were brilliant. Mm -hmm. But I just think for for you guys out there, if you if you do hit bad conditions, I would, or if you if you're anticipating bad conditions, I've never tried this, but I would I've always been struggling with this concept because we hit bad conditions when we first did it in 2015, and it just ripped all our D rings off our boards, and they were like manufactured onto inflatables. 
and and they also ripped the um, the cords as well, you know, just because the waves are just ripping off the baggage. And I just think if you had, you know, those things where you where you attach your board to the roof of your car and you put those all the way around the board, I think that would probably be the only way. I was also dreaming up of sort of hydrodynamic shapes on the top of the board to put your baggage in, like kind of like that guy. What is his name? He went across the Atlantic, old uh, South African from Cape Town. What is his name again? There aren't that many famous South Africans. I've got other things. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so let's move on to, um, you know, obviously paddles are vitally important. Um, We don't have to go into that. But sponsorship and charity and then the associated marketing with it. At the last minute, Tom, you... um, you, you uh, suggested we go with a charity. How did that come about? Uh, I just think if you're going to do um, anything like this, even if it's um, smaller or, or bigger distance, I think it would just be a shame not to do it for, um, for a charity. And also, I think for our motivation, as much as anything, um, when you're on the water and, and there is long days and, and there's, it's inevitable parts of it you think why on earth are we doing this because you know it's great fun overall but there's parts where you really could easily stop and and give up um and i think having something like that on the in the back of your mind saying we're doing it for a reason is 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 a great is a great way of doing it Mm -hmm. excellent and what charity did we eventually can you just tell us about the charity that we eventually supported yeah, well, it's it's a, a charity in Portimao that, that supports uh, a wide range of um, mainly disabled, um, mainly kids, but we chose to go for um, an older gentleman who was a disabled sailor. Uh, and I think through the COVID scenario, he'd been almost left off the list of charities. He was trying to, he'd had a grant for uh, a boat to go into the Olympics, I think it was, or or at least to sail in the European Championships. Um, but he needed to raise X amount of, uh, of euros before he could get the grant, and the boat is incredible. So uh, he didn't actually need that much money to enable him to be able to get this fantastic boat. So it was a, hopefully a small achievement that we got to. Um, and, and now he's he's able to buy his boat and and sail in the European Championships next year. We hope. And I think that really brought the whole the whole um, trip together because that forced us to get um, a tracker. Um, and I was on the phone to Dave Walker from Paddlelogger beforehand, trying to organise this, and we had a backup plan and all kinds of stuff. And then when we were driving out on the first night to go drive down to your place in Sagres, which we'll get to now. Um, I handed the phone over to Chris and said, look, I'm driving. Could you sort out the tracking? And so did you do that, Chris? Did you tell us how it went down? Honestly, I think the tracking was one of the best things of the whole trip. I agree. Um, I know when the three of us just started chatting, we're like, hey, let's just do it. It'll be fun. And then, as you just said, we got the sponsorship. And we started talking about if we could track it somehow, whether just putting like points on a Google map as we went. And um, when we landed on the paddle tracker, live tracking, honestly, I think that was this was the real coup of the trip, um, which I know we'll get onto later on. But having people, more people than I expected, following us online, and then people we'd never even met coming out to meet us as we went across the Algarve was such a boost. I think amazing, that was yeah? one of the best parts of it. That and the fact I didn't have to talk to you two for about an hour was, <laughs> was huge. <laughs> And, and how, how did you find the technology itself, Paddle Logger? Brilliant. Um, hugely recommend it. Actually, I've recommended it to quite a few people since then. Um, initially, it probably sounds like quite an odd thing, tracking a paddle, because you're either just sort of going around, a lot of people just go around lakes or around a local bay. But actually, if you start getting into it and you track the distances you're doing and the speed you're doing, just like a run, jog, walk, cycle tracker, it just helps you to improve your paddling. <laughs> and um, yeah. It's it's well worth it, hundred percent. But and, and not just and, for what we did. Yeah, in respect of the of the trip that we did, um, I know a lot of people were waking up every morning saying, "Where are they? Have they started paddling yeah. yet?" Whatever, and they were checking it out. <laughs> and and it, it it's great because it gives people a lot more. Um, you know, I don't know, it just includes them a lot more in, into our trip. It's not just us going for a jolly on 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 the Algarve, like you said, Tom. It, it gives it a bit more gravity. And, yeah, and it's definitely. And I. Uh, I'm not entirely sure you'll know more, Chris, but um, doesn't it have a safety feature on it as well? So as soon as you log on and then finish your paddle and log off, uh, obviously 
a lot of the times if I'm training, I go out by myself and I'm sure you two do as well. Yeah. It's, it's a real, and, and, and quite often I'm, I'm out, out on the water and I haven't told even my wife where I've been. So um, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't it do that? When you log off, it, 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 it registers. Exactly. So what you yeah, do is you, you register contacts and, um, and then it gives you a certain amount of time. Uh, if you're not back at a certain amount of time, um, then it'll automatically send a, a message to the, to your contacts. But you can also press a digital flare. I'm not sure if that's on the free version or the premium version, but you can press a button that sends a digital flare to um, to your contacts, and then they can contact the authorities if they need to. Yeah, I think it's it's amazing. It's like anything can happen anywhere, and especially on the water. Even the fittest of uh, of people can get into trouble for any reason. I think it's it's an amazing, you know. Um, the Stravas of the world on cycling are great, but I think if any time you're going to track yourself, I think on water is, is brilliant. Yeah, and paddle lug is designed for you know people with wet fingers and, and big buttons, so you can't miss. Oh, yeah. So it's 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 really sharp. But talking about safety, um, what did you, Chris? What did you think about um, the safety um, beforehand? Do you think were you a little bit like scared? No, we had you along. I didn't have anything to worry about, big South African fella. Well, that's easy, isn't it? It's like, so, okay. <laughs> it's like, it doesn't matter what. What if you were going on your own? Hmm? What if, if you I was were going, going on my own? own? Would, it, would it have looked completely different the whole trip? I mean, it would be a bit more scary. No, it really would be. Not at all. I mean, we all brought sort of inflatable jackets. We obviously had paddle loggers we talked about. At no point were we a huge distance from the coast, and we're all very familiar with the Algarve. So, and between the, the three of us. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a different story. Let's say we all got to go and said, right, we're going to go and paddle around the Scottish Hebridean Islands. Totally different experience. Um, we've been down here for years. We know the condition of the water here. We know how quickly it can change. So from that point of view, we we're all in a place where we were comfortable. None of us were really pushing ourselves outside of a comfort zone as regards safety or weather, just endurance. I, I agree. But also when we were chatting, we... we um... I, I, I can remember, I don't know what day it was, but we were chatting and saying three seemed almost the perfect number to paddle with. Um, yeah. If one got in trouble, there'd be two of us to help. And, and I think any more than three, then you're complicating matters just because you're... You've got a lot of people to deal with if something does go wrong. But I think uh, I think the three of us, it worked, it worked really well. I agree. Yeah, Absolutely. So, okay, cool. So let's get into the second half and go for the trip itself and just go chronologically because it was five days so let's start off with day zero driving down to Sagrish when we were supposed to be leaving at 3 p.m and everyone was hanging around waiting for us like my mate Philippos from the Greek restaurant (laughs) donated his time very kindly with his his two girlfriends that he brought along with and uh, we were just waiting and waiting and waiting and there was no Chris Grebby oh really what happened there was he buying uh, last-minute supplies for you? Potentially. Was, was he completing your decathlon shopping list? <laughs> so anyway, we, <laughs> sorry, bro. Without, without dropping right. you in the cack too much, um, we eventually got on, on track and went down to Tom's house where he, he's got a, you know, Tom's got a whole bloody estate going on down there. He's got a little sort of, <laughs> a little, you know, apartment on the beach and a mansion up in the hills. It's fantastic. <laughs> so thanks very much for the hospitality, Tom. Yeah, the wonders of podcast, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah yeah i'm i'm situated the other end of the algarve where we started almost uh well 25k from uh east of sagra so it was a good base just to get everyone together do a last minute check of all our kit um and then and then have an early night and ready for a, a drive up to sagra those few beers um, that we had that night before at a beautiful little place in Bergen was uh, that was quite sort of set the tone for the whole trip, I think. Yeah, def- definitely, yeah, and and also like a, a true uh, Algarvian little fishing village. It was nice to uh, maybe get away from the the hustle and bustle of eastern um, eastern Algarve and and start where we kind of we're really going to start from i know we were 25k but it, it felt it's this area of the Algarve is is very different to where we were going to finish so it was a it was a nice a, a nice beginning i think it was lovely yeah and then how did you feel tom the first morning when we woke up at what 4 a.m or something it was four yeah yeah 4 a.m i was i was excited i hadn't slept much um it's it's a weird thing going it was for, for me it was a you know a first doing doing something like this so it was a lot of unknowns 
Um, I knew you two, but I'd never been on the water for 10 hours with you two, so that was an unknown. Um, but yeah, it was really exciting and, and doing something in the dark and, and, and getting all your kit ready and making, pre- fingers crossed, you'd, you know, remembered everything. It was, it was good, really good. Yeah, I just posted that photograph of the three of us on, uh, on Martignol Beach. I think it's, I'm not sure, it's probably not called Martignol Beach, but it's right down there near Sagres on the beach. Yeah. Um, just before we left and uh, it brought back amazingly good memories because I remember striking out onto the water after because there's all this sort of pent-up energy or, or you know angst when, you, when you're trying to get everything right and make sure you not forget everything and then you get on the water you think oh it's amazing I don't know I felt like that how did you feel Chris? Um, I mean, it was a beautiful morning it was dark glassy water we were just in the bay there and it was fantastic and then I saw you with your pent-up energy letting it loose <laughs> and I remember thinking in that first 30 minutes, I'm not going to keep up with these guys. This is going to be impossible. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you were out there like a bullet out of a gun, man. And it was awesome. It was a real drive to get us going. It must be quite a disconcerting feeling, thinking, oh my gosh, how am I going to keep up with these guys? No, I just figured, you know, an endurance runner and a sprinter would catch up eventually. But no, it was definitely because, I mean, yeah, I've done a few big paddles. I can be out in the water all day. Um, I know you've done it before. Um, met Tom, and he's this sort of super fit triathlon athlete, <laughs> and then there's me, and I was like, okay, boys, let's, uh, let's see how this goes. But no, I think after the first hour, the three of us all very quickly got into a pace each day that complemented each other. But that definitely that first run out of Sargrens, I was thinking, oh, this this actually could be quite a challenge ahead of me. And then Tom took us into those beautiful and greener caves as we went probably what. An hour or two hours in, about, and we couldn't believe the time we were making because it was so glassy. So, Tom, you yeah. knew that area really well, right? You paddle down there a lot. Yeah, pretty pretty well. Yeah, yeah. Although I don't paddle Sagres area too much, but but I had paddled there, you know, quite a few times. But it's it's not my regular paddle. But it, it is an amazing, almost not untouched part of the world for paddling, but um, because it's known as a bit of a wilder end of, of the world, it, it can get really, really rough, strong rips around Martinelle Island. We were really lucky that morning. I've done that paddle before and it rips you right around the other side of the island and then you're in deep, deep water where there's tuna farms and, and it, it can get messy around there. But uh, we were really lucky that morning and we, we knew we had to stay close to the headland that, that first three or four hours. But the those caves you mentioned, the huge smuggling caves that were used for hundreds of years, they deep, amazing coloured water, incredible caves, amazing. Yeah, fantastic, phenomenal. And then we headed past, I always get it wrong, I think it's Burgau first, and then Salema, or is it the other way around? Salema first, yeah, yeah, Salema first. We did Ingrina, Zavial, um, and then, you know, the, the, the more populated areas, Salema first, um, and actually that's where our first group, met us i believe coming out of yeah which was thanks again to the tracker uh, that, and that was a real shock i think for all of us just to suddenly see friendly faces come out to the water and, and meet us yeah the guys from ocean blue active lucy and um and izzy came to paddle with us which was fantastic really 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 good fun and and like you said it was it was amazing to see friendly faces and that we know and, and people meeting us because of the tracker that they could find out exactly where it was from and by that time sun had come out and it was absolutely glassy 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 it was just the most i don't think i've ever seen weather like that in the Algarve for, for a solid four days because it kept on like that for the next four days um and then, yeah, were you, were you guys feeling a little bit anxious about trying to do 45 kilometers in our first day? Because I certainly was. <laughs> That's why I was probably pushing ahead, trying my best. To <laughs> but we were, we were greeted in Portimao by a, a, a crazy nutter sounding a, a horn, like a conk. So this is after our, the whole thing. Portimao was our final destination. Tom had organized a night on, on a tall ship called Maybe. And uh, we were also wondering maybe whether we'd make it or not. But we got there at about half past three, I think, in the afternoon. So it was a pretty easy jaunt. We had a little bit of, of, of wind beforehand. But then arriving in Portimao, um, how did you guys feel? I, was, um, I think we were all shocked at our pace and our progress. It was, um, we were a bit, I think, uh, an early, early start, no sleep. So when we, were, when we hit that... Uh, the channel coming into Portimao Harbour. It was a real relief, I think, that we'd made it 
because that, that first night was a goal. The rest of the trip, we were going to end up where we ended up each night. But that was our, our, our goal, to make it to the tall ship that was mm. moored up about 2K up the channel. So it was a big relief and a great surprise to see the charity, which are based in Portimao, come and meet us. It was, it was a really, really nice surprise. Yeah, and they haven't actually sent us those photographs yet, have they? No, they haven't, no. Yeah, good point. But um, Chris, do you want to take us through day two from... Um from Portimao all the way along those caves through to Villa Mora, which is your neck of the woods. Oh, yeah. So, well, waking up on the deck of a tall ship next to you two was certainly an interesting uh, experience. <laughs> I'll put that as a, a one-off. Um, but that was amazing. I think uh, I managed to get a good sort of two or three hours sleep that night, so I didn't feel too bad. And um, honestly, it was such a nice morning waking up on the deck of the boat. Again, glassy, glassy water. Um, very quick, got up, got some oats down us, some nuts, and I think we were on the water by, I'm going to say about 6.30 in the morning, I think, weren't we? Absolutely, so still, yeah, before sunrise, yeah. Um, probably the biggest challenge that day was getting three 12-foot-6 boards off the key into the water, which was, I'm going to say, a good, what, eight-foot drop, without any of us falling in, or any kit falling in. So I think that was a pretty solid achievement. Um, well done. <laughs> And then, yeah, the run out of Portimao was, uh, it was, it was lovely. All morning was glassy. I think the end of that first day, there was just a couple of hours of chop, and it was the same the second day, running all the way to Albufeira. And again, we've got a lovely bit of coastline that uh, you and I paddle along quite a lot, don't we, Nick? With, I mean, dozens of little caves, big ones, little ones. Um, obviously, we've got Benagil, the cathedral cave, was on day two, um, which was a nice little coffee stop. Uh, I'm surprised actually the boys haven't brought up the coffee situation yet, uh, but I'm sure one of them will. <laughs> yeah, someone was tasked to bring coffee, and it was Chris actually was tasked to bring the coffee along, and he didn't. And then he proceeded to moan about coffee the whole day and say, boys, I need a coffee. And Tom and I were joking, saying, yeah, 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 no problem, we'll stop at the next beach. Because every beach there's a little, it's not like we're paddling through the wilderness here, every beach there's a little cafe there. And we were saying, uh, yeah, no, 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 Chris, we'll stop at the next beach. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and then he'd be getting keen, keen and say, no, 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 oh, look, let's just make the next speech. And then we never actually did. I think we went without coffee for two days. <laughs> I think it was, yeah, um, Benagil. A day and a half into the trip, I got to have my first coffee. Yeah. And then we got stung at Benagil because Benagil is Portugal, oh, probably Portugal, actually. I know it's definitely one of the, the most popular tourist attractions in Algarve these days. Um, due to some big photographs being posted around the internet. And it just sort of blew up and became this massive tourist attraction. And now you have to pay, I think we paid 10 euros for like three little coffees and, and three pastéis de nata, which are Portuguese custard tarts. It was expensive, wasn't it? It was, but I mean, it was well worth it. A little bit of energy. And then um, each of those first two days, there were two big bays that we had to cross, which I think was something, it was something I probably hadn't done before, was a good 14-mile stretch away from the coastline to cut across from... Uh, before before Amistad de Pera. I don't know if that's pronounced correctly. Well, the first section was Lagos to Portimao, yeah. That was the first section, and then the second one skipping across from the end of the caves to the um, Albufeira headland. Exactly, yeah. Amistad de Pera too. Yeah. Sorry. Well, I was saying, that's when the conditions were spot on for us. I think we really made up an awful lot of time there. We couldn't have done that with the chop that is normally uh, on that bit but, of coastline. Yeah. On that section between Amasau de Pera and Albufeira, where we were cutting, we were probably like a couple of kilometers off the coast, more, maybe five, six, I don't know. And all of a sudden, through the absolute sheer glassy water, you couldn't even see the horizon because it was all melting in together. And we saw this boat coming straight for us. And I think you guys were suddenly, <laughs> well, 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 hang on, is this guy going to turn or not? And it was my buddy from the beach concession who I used to rent boards to, and uh, and he was just coming to say hi and splashed us with his wake, and <laughs> it was quite fun. <laughs> so it was a bit concerning. But um, yeah, so so when we arrived at um, this beach called Belio Rukaj, which is right on the western edge of the Falesia beach, near, just sort of, just other side of Alba if you're looking at a map, um, we arrived at a beach bar and um, your friend, the Irish guy, came down to, to help us commence activities. Oh, good old Barry brought the beers. Um, I think he was a little bit surprised that we'd made it that far in two days, to be honest. He was fully expecting to be uh, quite a few miles back towards the west meeting us on a beach somewhere. And actually, but, uh, yeah. we, haven't, we haven't mentioned that, that, that the first day 
we had someone bring the boat, so we didn't travel with any of our kit on the first day. We we had it delivered kindly to the tall ship, and again on the second day, we had someone. Uh, Chris just mentioned Barry to bring our bags to the to the beach. So the first two days was a bit of a luxury paddle, although they had long distances. We were we were pretty lucky not to have any of our kit with us. We just took our our day bags and water and and a few snacks. And it was fantastic to have Barry bring the bring the bags uh, at the end of the second day. But I kind of wished he hadn't because he's Irish and he knows how to drink and he got us going big time. <laughs> So yeah, dot, dot, dot. That was a pretty hectic night. I think we just sat on the beach and then I remember waking up in the morning and getting all our stuff together with a slight hangover. Um, and and this guy, just these big lights coming out of nowhere, just driving up the beach. And I was like, what's going on? And then there's this big truck thing and it sort of comes around, parks literally four and a half centimeters away from my sleeping bag and starts offloading the, all the garbage, which was right there because we were on a beach concession. So that was quite disconcerting. But I think... Um, yeah, we'd all finished our ablutions by then, so it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> so we struck out, and um, yeah, Tom, do you want to do day three, day four? Cool. Um, day three, it's a bit of a blur to me, day three. You've got to remind me of... Uh... The Faro stretch, in when we crossed over into the rear, and... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, set off a similar time, didn't we? We were on the water by seven again. Um, and um, I, you mentioned those big bays we went across. We did a few of those um, on the third day. Um, and for me, I think they were the hardest parts of the day. Um, traveling past caves through interesting um, environments is great. And, and often when you're near the caves, you, we did have quite a few people come out and see us or we had vans on the top of the cliff beeping and waving. But those long sort of 5K stretches where you're looking uh, towards the shore and you don't feel like you're actually moving um, it was quite a mental thing for me. Quite often one of us or some of what, one of the group would paddle on ahead and have their kind of headspace because it, it's, it's a bit demoralizing just paddling for 5K and not feeling like you're moving. And, and those long beaches on the third day felt a bit like that to me. Um, but right at the end of the day, um, you guys know that stretch of the of the Argyle really well. And we, we crossed over the dunes and entered the Rio Formosa, which was a massive relief for me. It felt like we were then on the river uh, and a totally different environment, which lifted my spirits, I have to say. And your wife arrived as well with a whole bunch of people. So they must have lifted your spirits too. It, it did. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah. She was uh, supposed to be at work in Lagos and took the day off and... And I think there were six or eight of them in the end that um, dropped in and all paddled to meet us. So lots of our friends are obviously keen paddleboarders, and and they all um, they were. I think they were more excited than us. It was a, a real uh, a real adventure for them. They, they're still talking about it now. So it's um, and that was again. We keep mentioning it thanks to Paddlelogger. They they would have never have known yeah. exactly where we were on a stretch of water 160k long. They knew. To the to to the you know five minute destination of where where we were it was amazing mm. and that cake ah oh, that cake I was going to say long. a big shout out to whoever made the brownies ah oh, amazing really really good stuff so um, after we headed into Portimao and we departed for, because it actually was the, the uh, inside the Rio Formosa the tides move really fast and uh, we were scooting down with um, with your wife and all her friends and everything it was great fun we we're all sitting talking and suddenly we realized well chaps you're not going to get back so um they were they weren't going to be able to paddle against back against the tide so so they cruised off and we split up and they went uh, and organized themselves and, and we carried on to Ilha Culatra, which is an island, um, one of the barrier islands, and that's where uh, we spent. We had lunch on one of those islands, I think. Um, and then we, and I know I was feeling really tired just before lunch. There, I was really sort of, sort of battling exhaustion because we'd done a lot. And then uh, when we get to Culatra, it was beautiful because it was almost like a desert island, complete. And we set up camp. We had a, a swim and discovered that there were four or five jellyfish floating around right there next to us. And we weren't swimming in wetsuits, so it was a um, close call. And then there were some crazy French people running around. What is that all about, Chris? I think they were just having a little um, nighttime barbecue on the end, of, right on the tip of the little island. And that was about the point at which, I can't remember who it was, 
enlighten us to the fact that we're drunk all the beer. And we're <laughs> beginning to open up um, negotiations with the French to try and go across with their boat to get some more beer. They wouldn't have any of it. So that was actually a fairly fairly sober evening, if I remember. Alcohol no, not for the French people, because I think they no. were trying to get on their boat and they fell back right on their asses <laughs> because they were so drunk. But I think for us to have paddled across there then would have been quite tricky, because that current at the best of times is pretty bad. To try and do it at 10, 11 o'clock at night would have been, trying to get back would have been a little bit extreme. Yeah, treacherous, because was... a few fishermen have actually died at that point. We call them a barinha, but it's an opening to the ocean, and, and, the, and the tide just shunts through there. Um, according to the law of twelfths, of course, chaps. Oh yes, <laughs> it was a very educational trip. Well, I did a water safety course, uh, stand-up paddle water safety course through SAPFM, as as many of you listeners will know. And uh, I was trying to to share my knowledge with the boys, but they weren't having any of it, so uh, <laughs> we paddled on. And then the next morning, yeah, that was when it rained that night, and I, I just it was great. I, I couldn't believe how well my bivy worked. It's just all the water just slid right off. I was Light, loved it. likewise with my tent. The fly sheet was just, it was luxury. Dry is uh, uh, yeah, absolutely dry. And poor old Tom was, was in a puddle again. Um, oh, no, that was the first time you, you were sleeping yeah. in a puddle, weren't you? Yeah. The next night was quite interesting. We've got to get to the next night when when, <laughs> when we were running. Right. So okay, let's just go there, shall we? So, you know, we'd, we'd had a few beers and it was, you know, the next night. And we because obviously we hadn't had any beers this night on the, on the desert island. So we paddled the... Oh, wait, no, you this. can't skip Thursday. You got We've got to talk about... The, okay, go uh, for it. Trek when um, we're halfway down the rear and somebody goes, "We might have got the tide wrong on this bit, boys." Schoolboy error, absolutely. So the tide had emptied out from the rear Formosa because it's highly tidal, and and uh, when the tide empties out there, it's just mud flats. Um, and Tom was getting quite um, MacGyverish and decided to. What did you? What? What is the end? End? End solution? Tom? Well, well, no. The problem was we were in water that was only about an inch to two inches deep. Yeah. So, and it was a good trek between where we were to um, the open water. So, I think between the three of us, we came to a decision, didn't we? We'll try and push on. And you and I had FCS uh, fins, so we just popped them off with the key. But one of us didn't. So, uh, so we struggled and we tried. Yeah, go ahead. And I think all these things are a big learning curve. But um, yeah, so. It's it's very different when when the water is six inches deep and you've just got your board because you can just pop it on your shoulder and hike it out of there. But we, we had a lot of kit um, and it, and it yeah in the end um, you just guys suppose you've just got to do what you've got to do and and we I <laughs> luckily the guys we split bags up and the the guys took uh, my kit on their boards and um, I ended up paddling my board upside down. Uh, with the fin pointing up um, but it, it got us it got us probably 2k down the river um, we still had a big trek to do by dragging the boards but those those 2k probably um, you know it was it was awkward and and looked ridiculous but it, it did get us to a point um, where it would have taken ages to walk out of there so um, it was it um. Yeah. Do you realize that photograph has gone viral and has 175,000 views? No, it does. Of you upside down on a paddleboard. Is... <laughs> I'm just kidding, bro. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it is quite treacherous because in that mud and you're pushing boards along, it's great if you're paddling, but if, you, if you're pushing your board along, your feet really sink into the mud and there's uh, all kinds of sharp shells and all kinds of stuff in there. It just lacerates your legs. And I know we all had cuts and uh, all down our legs after that night but i think one thing that was driving me was that um in prior verd which is the green beach in english was our destination that i had put in our minds and i thought we had to get to this bar where i knew they had the cocktail called a moscow mule which i really enjoy and it was just driving me i was keeping saying to you guys hey we've got to get moscow mules we've got to get moscow mules and eventually after the most unbelievably beautiful evening it was stunning wasn't it huh? paddling through those jellyfish amazing it was our longest longest day in the water i think it was 12 hours wasn't it um yeah but but we had that in our sights and it was every every five meters there was a a jellyfish as wide as the board it was incredible and the colors were phenomenal i mean they were like purple and blue and oh stunning really beautiful you anyway, know so sunset on the water and we eventually made it to praia verde and 
uh, unbeknownst to us, lockdown was happening all around us, and they just in, just made this new rule that you cannot drink any alcohol in a bar after eight o'clock. So they had to basically close the bars. So we arrived in this bar to get our Moscow mules at seven fifty-three, and immediately said, three Moscow mules, please." <laughs> <laughs> Got them down, and uh, and proceeded to have, um, have. Then afterwards, we went down for dinner, had a few beers, and um, what happened next? My memory escapes me. I, I can't remember actually what happened I next. Can, too many beers, Chris. I can take over. I think we um, I think we all went back down to the tents, quietly went to bed, and then woke up yeah. fresh and ready for our 6K paddle to Spain, I think. Bullshit. That's, that's exactly what I remember, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I what I definitely don't story. remember is seeing Tom chasing his tent across the beach at 3 in the morning. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> the wind had picked up radically. It was like 15, 20 knots. And Tom went for a pee, and his tent decided to follow him. And then he jumped on his tent, broke a pole, and ended up not knowing where he was. And calling Chris in the middle of the morning, saying, "Chris, where are you? I can't find you." <laughs> so that was great. Yeah, it was, it was uh, definitely the most eventful. It was the most eventful evening of all. Yeah, the, the, yeah. Um, again, not trying to take too much with me. I didn't take any ten pegs. Um, and, uh, <laughs> Pegging, pegging your tent down on a windy night is a must. <laughs> but waking up with a with a monstrous hangover, diving into the ocean helped a lot. But uh, oh, yeah. it was quite a powerful offshore that day. And generally, powerful offshores are scary things. But we were paddling. We were literally paddling centimeters away from the from the shore and trying to keep in close. And 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 it was only five kilometers to go to the end. So so we made it, albeit with. I think our hangovers had cleared up by that time because there's so much fresh air. Well, I think the interesting part there, again, purely down to the paddle logger, was um, the messages that we were getting in the morning from people going, they haven't left yet, they haven't left yet. Normally they start at 6.30, 9 in the morning, nothing had moved on the logger. But then also the day before, I think we'd all, the three of us, we'd all made the same decision that we weren't going to push it to the finish, that we were doing a five-day expedition, we wanted to keep it that way. Even though the conditions were so good, we probably could have really pushed and, and done it in a record time. We decided, no, we'll stop those 8K from the finish, and have a good night. But reading the messages from people watching us going, oh, they're going to do it, they're going to do it, oh, no, they stopped short, was, I mean, it was just great. Yeah, yeah it, it was, was amazing. And I know a lot of this, uh, our chat has been revolved around beer, but um, <laughs> we d- I do think we stayed very, si- like that morning when we had had a few and we woke up, but we did have a very serious chat with each other that the winds were strong. Uh, and we did have only 6k to go, but we'd all decided to stay close to the shore. And, and I do, yeah, I, I think um, there was a serious aspect to it all going along. It was, um, we, we, yeah, you know that stretch really well. And um, yeah, we, we, it, was, it was definitely safety in mind when we were on the water every, every day. Even, even when we crossed that, uh, that morning, the, the third morning, um, the tides were strong and there was a lot of shipping coming in and out. We put the head torches on. You had your reflective jackets on. It was, it was, it was, yeah, we were, we were serious when we hit the water. Well, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's vital whenever you paddle, even if you're going for an hour-long paddle, safety has got to be forefront uh, in one's mind. Because, and, and it was always forefront, it's always been forefront in my mind because I've done quite a few, uh, I've done two um, sub-certification courses and, the first thing you talk about is safety. And we've just completed an online video course all about sub-safety. And the amount of people that get caught out these days by um, the RNLI is um, it's just growing and it's scary. So I urge you guys, if you don't know much about your local conditions, do the homework, buy my course. <laughs> but I just uh, I wanted to ask you guys. Click the link above. Isn't that what you're supposed <laughs> to say now? Yeah, click the link or whatever. Um, Lessons learned. What did you do? I mean, first of all, was this a holiday or was this an expedition? Both, I think, for me, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, um, I don't. I don't know what class is a holiday, but um, enjoyment was obviously a big factor on a holiday. And I, I, apart from the odd moment, I absolutely loved it start to finish. It was amazing. Same. I thought it was brilliant. I mean, you talk about yeah. It's a good question, holiday or expedition. I think because of the conditions, it drifted maybe towards the side of a holiday, less expedition. But it could just have easily turned into a hell of an expedition with the wrong wind conditions, uh, inclement weather, all of that kind of thing. 
So I think we set about it as an expedition. Yeah, you're right. Um, but 100% because of the weather in our favour, we um, it was just so much more enjoyable. Yeah, yeah. Best holiday I've ever had. Loved it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, you're right. I mean, it's, it is because of the conditions. And um, I know we had a few bad conditions back in 2015 when we did it. And we actually had to, to stop halfway and get get um, transported to the end and then paddle back. So we didn't paddle it all in one go. It was just because of the expedition, the, uh, the conditions. So, yeah, conditions are vital. really is. And um, any lessons that you learned? Uh, rule of 12. Law of Twelfths, yeah, I'm the, good, good man. I don't think you've fully grasped that yet, Chris, but uh, you're saying you have, which is great. So. It's 12 hours in the morning, 12 hours in the afternoon. <laughs> no, that's not it. <laughs> and you can drink in any of them. But I think, um, yeah, you go, Tom. Yeah, I was just going to say, kit-wise, kit I, I really, um, I, it was just those few little things, I, I think, that were, uh, we did lots of things right, but I there were a few things that I would have would have taken, um, and I think if you are going to do anything like this, or in is ask people because it's there is nothing better than than knowing that the people that have done it before. You know, I, I think I easily could have got away with a bivy bag that would have saved me poles and silly things like socks wouldn't have wouldn't have taken any more weight off. But the comfort factor. I just think I ask people that have done it before because, um, yeah, it's it's uh, those little things make a massive difference. What did you guys think about? Because you, you both mentioned that you hadn't done a stand-up paddle trip of this nature before. Do you think now that this is game on, you can do anything you want regarding stand-up paddle? Oh, absolutely, guys. I'm like, when are we heading to Gibraltar? Let's do the next leg. It's just trying to carve out the time is a tough thing. It's not a, it's not a question of ability. Because I remember when I first set out on this Transal Gov back in 2015, I was like, I don't even know if we can do it. It's really scary. Um, and then it was, wow, you just plod along, just one stroke at a time. Yeah. Guys, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. I really thank you both for, for coming. Well, you know, for, thanks, Tom, for initiating this whole thing. And, uh, and it, was, it was an amazing trip. It really was cool. So thanks, ah, guys. Yeah. And, and, I would absolutely do it again. Yeah, I mean, yeah, amazing, amazing experience. All right. Well, sayonara. We'll see you on the next trip. Look forward to it, guys. Cheers. Thank you for listening to SUP FM, the number one podcast for stand-up paddlers wherever you are. If you like what you've heard, please leave us a review on iTunes. Until then, we'll see you on the water.